Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a serious thing to be invited into your presence and to be given your word where we might hear your message for us today. We pray, Lord, that we would take seriously what is before us, but that would not make us somber, but that it would fill us with joy at the possibility of interacting with you, you who are our maker, our God, and our true king. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Did you catch it as uh, the kids were up here? Now, this isn't the real ark. Uh, Y'all know that, but it's important to say that. It's uh, not quite as sturdy as the one that uh, Moses would have had made. It was made out of acacia wood and then gilded in gold. Uh, It would have been a little bit heavier than this one that we can just slide around. But um, as, uh, as Grayson came up to it, Chris reached out and he said, Be careful. Be careful. You might break it. And that one moment is exactly what we're looking at with a guy named Uzzah today, as well as the role of David as it shifts as he leads this country of Israel. It's just one moment that Uzzah thinks that God needs him to stabilize God's ark. It changes everything about this incredible procession. Before we read the text, I should tell you that uh, if, you, if you research this text, one of the first articles that comes up uh, is entitled, Are There Scripture Passages That Should Not Be Preached? <laughs> this is a difficult passage, um, and it's hard for us to reckon with, and that's exactly why we should. I invite you to hear this word. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah, so that the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. 
As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the son of the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me in place of your father and all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. I will make myself be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said, this is a difficult text. It's one that we would, I would prefer to just skip over as we move through the book of 2 Samuel. It makes me angry, and that's not surprising. It made even King David angry that this would happen. That Uzzah, by reaching out, by seeming to do something that seemed like a good impulse to generally be helpful, would leave him dead. We even have a little bit of a desire to correct it. Scholars throughout the ages have tried to say, well, it's really about this, or it's really about that, or maybe we just shouldn't focus on it at all. But whatever it is, let's try to write it off. Make it about something that it's not. Because it sits so uncomfortably with who we think God is and who we think God ought to be. And that's really what this is about, isn't it? That we, should, that we think we should get to tell God who he ought to be. That we might get to sit in judgment of God's activity. We think that we know best. We think, as Uzzah did, that God needs us. And so rather than pushing this text aside or writing it off or reinterpreting it in some way that's really not in keeping with what's written there, it's important that we wrestle with it. That we wrestle with it as Jacob wrestled with the Lord and found his hip out of joint afterwards but still found his blessing. That we wrestle with this text until it gives us our blessing. You see, Uzzah was from a family of priests. He's the son of Abinadab, the priest that's been moving with David through his journeys. He and his brother Ahio are moving the ark to Jerusalem. This is a big moment for David. He's conquered Jerusalem. He's established his reign over all of Israel, united the 12 tribes yet again after they divided upon Saul's death. And now not only is he leading a united political Israel, as a civic king, 
He's also saying that we are going to be a religious nation. And that I, as your king, am going to function as one of your priests. You see, David is wearing a linen ephod. This is the garment of a priest. This is what Eli wore, what Samuel would have wore when he was working with Eli in the temple all the way back in 1 Samuel. This isn't a kingly garment. This isn't a royal robe. This is a priestly garment. It's what the priest would wear to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so David, acting not only as king but also as priest, is leading the Ark of the Covenant to the, city, to the center of the country which he has been asked to rule. And in doing so, he is acknowledging that he is not ultimately the one who rules Israel, but it is the Lord, the God of hosts, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God that has delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. This is what David is saying as he dances in front of the ark. You see, the ark, on the top of the ark, was the mercy seat. It was the throne of God. And so David, as the new king of Israel, is saying to Israel that it is the throne of God that will be before us, and more important even than my throne. As the king, I will lead you, the people of Israel, in submitting to the one true king, the God of Israel. And this is serious business. It's the kind of business that if we do it wrongly, leads us into the presence of a God who is more powerful and more glorious than we can imagine. The kind of glory that we can't withstand. The kind of glory that we should be careful before we enter into it because it just might not let us survive. So, as Uzzah reaches out to stabilize the symbol of the presence of God in Israel, there's a lot more than just a desire to help. There's an assumption that God needs his help. And in addition to all of that, they're not even transferring the ark like you're supposed to. If you see, the, the ark here has some holes where, where rods could be slid through it and it could be carried with these posts. That was the job that was the way that you moved the ark. But they've put it on a cart and they've set it behind oxen and they've left it in a manner unstable. And then they think they need to fix what they have done. And it doesn't go well for Uzzah. And David gets mad. As we too get mad. The ways of the Lord are beyond our comprehension. The Lord's ways are not our ways. And in his anger, David says, maybe I don't want the ark after all. Maybe I shouldn't bring it to Jerusalem. Maybe it will be a curse to us like it was to all of those Babylonian cities that had it move around in their midst and everywhere they went, there was a plague. Maybe I don't want the ark. Let's leave it here at the house of Obed-Edom. Maybe David doesn't want a God that he can't control. Maybe... David doesn't want that sort of God. So he leaves it there in the house of Obed-Edom for a few months, and Obed-Edom's house thrives. We begin to see that it's not that the ark is a curse or a blessing, but that the Lord, who is the Lord of the ark and all of Israel, chooses to treat those in his presence as he will. And so David goes back to get the ark, but he's afraid, even now, 
to do it. So he has people carry it this time. They don't put it on a cart. They don't have it pulled behind the oxen. He has men pick it up. And after they go the first six steps and nobody dies, he stops and he offers the sacrifice to the Lord. He thanks the Lord that they are not under the Lord's judgment. And then as they travel on into the city of Jerusalem, the music grows louder and louder, and David's dancing gets more and more undignified. David is shaking it for all he's got in front of the Lord. And his wife, looking out a window, looks at him and says, that's embarrassing. No king should act like that. No self-respecting man should act like that. Everybody is staring at you. Why would you do this? And we begin to feel the way that sometimes we feel about worship. That worship should be something where we sit still and we do exactly as we're told, just when we're told, that we don't move any more than we expect. Even as we sang today, I would imagine that some of you felt pressure to stand up and sit down when you didn't want to. And others of you felt judged as you didn't stand up and sit down. All of us, to some extent or another, were probably focused on what those around us were thinking. What would be thought of us if we did or did not participate? David in front of all of Jerusalem, is unconcerned with what anyone thinks. He's unconcerned with what anyone but the Lord thinks of him. He says, I may shame myself, but I won't be shamed in front of others because I am serving the Lord. David does something that no one would expect of a king in acting as a priest. He begins to, to, to combine these roles that weren't combined before. He decides to be a priestly king, to lead Israel not only into battle and not only in legislation, but also in its service to the Lord. And it turns out that this is exactly who Jesus is as well. And the sort of priesthood that Jesus calls us to participate in. In 1 Peter, we learn that once we were not a people, but now we, we are God's people. And that God is calling us to be a royal, a kingly priesthood. That we as servants of God, as children of the God who sits on the throne in heaven, are invited to be both kings and priests in service to him. And if we're going to do that, it means that we have to be ready to stand before the Lord unashamed. For us, that might mean just being a little bit more free in how we worship. In other places, it might mean not feeling obligated to raise your hands or to shout or whatever else everyone else is doing so that you might fit in. It is to discern and to follow how it is the Lord is calling us in our own particularity, in our own personality, in our own life to serve God and to give him praise. But the power relationship here continues to be terribly important. David dances before the Lord, but he does not expect the Lord to do anything in front of him. David, unlike Uzzah, recognizes that though he can't control the Lord, though he can't save the Lord, though he can't correct the Lord, the Lord can be a source of incredible joy and grace and provision in David's life. The bringing to the ark, the ark of the Lord into Jerusalem can be a blessing to the entire country. 
And as David does this and offers sacrifices that priests should offer, he takes what's left of the sacrifices and he gives it to all the people. He gives them all some meat and some bread and some raisin cakes. He gives it to everybody and sends them home filled with the king, the priests, the Lord's generosity. All of them benefit from his sacrifice to the Lord. Everyone leaves with their share. And so we have this joyous focus on God that ends with generosity. And it leads us to ask, who are you here for today? As you got up and dressed and maybe changed your clothes or made sure that the kids were in clean clothes, that even though they'd gotten them dirty at breakfast, who did you dress for this morning? Who did you prepare to meet as you walked in the doors of this place? Who did you long to know as you came to church? Is it the Lord of Israel, the one who is beyond our control, the one who needs not our help, but has called us to abide in the fullness of his joy, to take seriously his presence, but not by limiting ourselves and constraining ourselves to be respectable, but by letting the fullness of the grace of God flow through us in a way that invites others into the celebration of joy that we have found in his presence. And if you have come here for the Lord, and if you have come to be filled with the Lord's grace, what are you going to do with your sacrifice of praise as you depart from here? Will you share it generously? Will you make sure that those whom you meet, that everyone whom you meet, leaves with a little bit of what it is you have offered to God? That they too might know the Lord's provision and presence as you operate as a royal priest in your life. This is the invitation for all of us today. To take the presence of the Lord seriously, not lightly, but to recognize that to do so is to do that like sports fans who take their team seriously and shout and praise and celebrate the victory of the Lord. Let's pray.